0: Stop looking. I know some of you are coming back to the table. Some of you have taken the off season, and that's fine. You live your life. You got the constitutional freedom to do what you want in the spring and summer. But you're looking for a college football show, and I promise you, you just found it. I'm not saying stick exclusively to us, but you just found it. This is Late Kick Live. It is Sunday night, August 27th, the year of our Lord 2023, jam packed, high atop a revitalized downtown Nashville, Tennessee, and not just because Vandy squeaked to one and zero last night. It is conference championship prediction night. It is college football playoff prediction night. It is national championship prediction night. I'm going to have all of it for you hand across my heart or chest or pec or whatever we call this before the end of this broadcast. I've got a bunch of coaches under pressure, some of it competitive, some of it job security. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, I watched USC. Yeah, I watched Notre Dame. Yes, I've got some thoughts and, um, be honest with you I don't know if we saw the same thing in that USC game especially so we'll do that I have got a ton of announcements in tonight's show everything you've been asking me about over about the past two or three weeks about the show and about the season is going to get answered tonight they're watching us in Meridian Mississippi LaGrange Georgia where I'm told Nelly performed very admirably last night Yes, that Nelly in that LaGrange, Georgia. Phoenix, Arizona is tuned in. Chesapeake, Virginia is tuned in. As of this moment, if you're watching live, we have 199,660 subscribers on this channel. Remember once upon a time, not once upon a Saturday, once upon a time, we were live in LA. Like we were doing the show in Los Angeles and we hit 100,000 subs live. Producer Jesse and director Colin and I believe we may just hit 200K live during this show. So if you're watching and you have not already subscribed and for whatever reason you've been holding out and you've been going Janet Jackson, let's wait a while. Tonight's the night. Also a Rod Stewart song. Whatever the 70s, 80s, or 90s rhythm you want to go with, tonight's the night. Subscribe to the channel. Finish is what I'm trying to tell you. Finish strong. We can hit 200K live. I think we can. But boy, oh boy, what a loaded show. So let me tell you what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to predict every conference championship game. I'm going to give you the winners. We're going to end up culminating the show with national championship picks, playoff picks. But we're going to have all sorts of things woven into the show. Director Colin has a million buttons he's going to have to press. Producer Jesse made like a million graphics. So if you are back to college football's table, we got plenty of chairs for you, and it's free. Go ahead and pull up. Big Ten championship time. I'm going to predict the picks here. I'm going to give you our conference winner. I think the East is a three team race, by the way. When I look at the Big Ten this year, I don't think it's Ohio State, Michigan, and everyone else. I know why people say that. I don't see it that way. And, you know, I don't like to look in the rearview mirror a lot. So when I'm looking at 2023, I really care about what I think is going to happen in 2023. I've got Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State in my top eight. I think the AP does as well, or at the very least, they got them way up there. There's a lot of talk about gaps. And I think there is a gap. I just think it's behind those top three teams in the East. I look at the Ohio State and Michigan view right now, and even within those two teams, folks are talking about a gap. There's Michigan and there's a gap. And I appreciate what people are trying to say when they traffic in that sort of thing. There was a gap between the two teams on the field last year when they played and the year before. Uh, in terms of program strength, there's not a gap between anyone in Ohio State in the Big Ten. You've just gotten the better of them two years in a row. Hey, I watched that same Buckeye team get to within a whisker of beating Georgia and going to the national championship where they would have won it last year. There's not a gap. You've just beaten them two years in a row, which is really all it's about. I don't know why we get involved in the what I call the gap scheme so frequently. But Penn State's there. That's the first thing I want to tell you. The second thing I want to tell you is what does the tier two in this conference look like? The entire Big Ten West is just up for grabs. And this is the last year that we're going to have this thing. I have, I've just got to post it stuck to my index finger here, what we call a McGrady special around the office. Ryan McGrady is our crack stats and info guru. He says, every year since 2016, Iowa has held opponents under 20 points per game. And what have they had to show for it? A very limited result because they can't score to save their lives. Maybe that changes this year. Hey, maybe P.J. Fleck in Minnesota finally back up what they mean when they say it just takes a little something different to play here. Wisconsin's the preseason favorite in the West, and Wisconsin's got newness everywhere up to and including O.C. and head coach and quarterback. I am totally fascinated with what Maryland can do. Maryland is a prisoner of a division for one more year. Otherwise, they'd probably rightly be viewed as a contender in the West. Also, Michigan State loses Peyton Thorne. They lose Keon Coleman. And yet I'm sitting there across from Mel Tucker a month ago up in Indianapolis, and he looks me in my eye and tells me, we've got the most talent we've ever had on this team since I've been here. What does that equate to? It equates to a complete jumbled mess in my estimation, in the Big Ten West. But we got to pick a winner, right? Yes, we'll do it in just a second. What about sleepers in this conference? You know I love Illinois. Illinois has got Luke Altmaier at quarterback now. They've got a top ten preseason defense per the S&P+. There is no Michigan on their schedule. There is no Ohio State on their schedule. they got three returning wide receivers they like. Pretty good on the offensive line, really good on the defensive line. I think they like the running backs enough. And I think that they got a taste last year. They're kind of like Kansas. They got a taste in that they charged out of the gate. They started what? They started seven and one last year, and then they finished eight and five. They just didn't have enough gas in the tank. We see teams do that every year. It takes 12 weeks worth of gas. And if you got that tank half full, you get out into the desert. And then you're stranded in the desert. Illinois got stranded a little bit last year. Well, that means you got the best of both worlds. You got to experience the highs, but then you get to sell your team and motivate your team based on the lows at the end of the year. So I'd watch out for them. What does the conference championship picture look like in the Big Ten? Well, I deliberated on this for like a month and a half, uh, but I'll tell you where I'm going. It's where I thought I was going to go in the spring. I'm taking Ohio State over Iowa, of all teams, to win the Big Ten. So I like Ohio State to come out of the East. Full disclosure, I don't think any of those teams over there in the top three is losing more than one game. So it is Ohio State, but it's Ohio State by a thin margin. But Iowa over there, like Iowa, if Cade McNamara is able to play and it looks like he was good to go as of this past weekend, Eichold and the guys over there at our Iowa site uh, seem to believe not nearly as big an issue as the injury situation has been made out to be. So Look, if Iowa improves moderately to mildly offensively, we are going to be a really tough team, really tough out over there. But Ohio State, to me, is the combination of an elite roster without an elite quarterback that's known since the spring they have to play complementary football to win. There's no C.J. Stroud to lean on. I think a lot of people view that as a negative. I have viewed it and will continue to view it as a potential positive. The difference is, they may not strike you with lightning here, lightning there. It may look totally different, and that's fine because they got the players to play that way. Your team may not. Ohio State's got the players to play that way. And here's the sentence that I'm going to finish with that I have not said, I think, to any point under Ryan Day's tenure there. Their defense may well be the MVP of this team this season. And if Ohio State wins the Big Ten... I think it'll be just as much because of Jim Knowles in the second year, not third, second year as D.C. up there, and the way that defense plays, especially up front, as anything that offense does. That's complementary football. You know, once upon a time, that's the way they won games in this sport, and it could be that way again. You give me Ohio State over Iowa, that's how I see the Big Ten this year. Their current over-under in Vegas is 10.5 wins. They are plus 165 odds on favorites to win the Big Ten. Now, before we move on here, I want to tell you what I just said, because when we put out the JP poll the other day and I had Ohio State above Michigan, people said, that's crazy, that's crazy. And try to remind you, all that is, is a power rating. So all the JP poll is, is neutral field favorability. Who would I favor over who? Or whomst would I favor over whomst on a neutral field tomorrow? People said, well, there's no way that Michigan should be behind Ohio State. And guys, I need to remind you of something. Michigan gets Ohio State at home this year and they're still not favored to win the Big Ten. I know that doesn't mean anything to you because that's been the case the last two years and you thumped them. I know that. You don't have to tell me that. Th- that's all I'm trying to do with my power ratings though. That's it. And so right now, Ohio State's about a one to a one and a half point dog in that game, which implies neutral field that'd be favored. That's it. There's no, there's no gap. There's no anything. It's razor thin. You could barely fit this piece of paper perceptionally between where those two teams stand. But that's the whole point. There is no big gap there. So I'm taking Ohio State over Iowa in the Big Ten. Consequential year and final year for divisions up in the Big Ten. I've got two chalice to give away here. I know a lot of you are new watching this particular show. A lot of you are new and listening to this show. So welcome back to college football. Uh, We do this show three times a week. We We have certain things associated with this show. This is a chalice of supremacy. It says Pate State chalice of supremacy on it. Pretty fancy, huh? You can't buy one. Don't worry about it. But you can win one and you win one by doing what various members of our guerrilla marketing army have been doing lately. And that is just promoting the show publicly by any means necessary. So let me give you an example. Sean McMahon, possible relation to events. He emails me. He says, attached in this email is audio of me from August 25th on Cincinnati's ESPN 1530 with Chad Brendel. Bearcat Journal of 24-7 Sports Network, by the way. I gave Late Kick a shout-out on our airwaves, doing my part to get the show to 200,000 subs. Go Bearcats, go Freights, Sean McMahon. Sean, Chalice of Supremacy is on its way to Cincinnati, Ohio. I appreciate you. Next up, Doug is checking in all the way from out in Hawaii. He says, I work at a golf course in Hawaii. We get visitors from all over the world. There are a lot of ravines where people lose their golf balls. Most people only bring one box. There's a problem. There's 18 holes. Well, I've come up with a solution, he writes. I decided I'd write subscribe to Late Kick with Josh Payne on each ball. I toss them in areas where I know golfers will look. If I see a golfer looking for a ball, I tell them I have a few, but it requires a subscription to the channel in order to get them for free. I hope this is worthy of a chalice. Great show. Keep up the great work. That looks like a screensaver, by the way. Look to the right. If you're listening on a podcast, uh, Picture Heaven, basically the way you would think that looks. Not the bucket of golf balls with my name on it, but the other picture. That is magnificent. I don't even think he edited that either. That's just, that's just the way Hawaii looks. Some of us grew up in Fortson, Georgia and don't even believe that place exists, but it does. So Chalai of Supremacy on the way to Doug and on the way to Sean. Appreciate you guys. Uh, we've been getting submissions like that by the hundreds. I'm just trying to pick as many as I can. I said I'd give one per show out. We've been given two out. I got a brand new shipment of Chalai on the way. So, yeah, let's keep it going. Welcome aboard if you're watching live. Uh, we have we have not even started the show. But, buddy, we need about 250 subs to get to 200K. So let's keep those rolling. I watched USC yesterday. Better question, did you watch USC yesterday? And if you watched USC, did you do it illegally? You don't have to admit it. Just nod your head, yes or no. I'm not sure what you saw. Sure, you saw USC beat San Jose State 56-28, to but... Judging by my Twitter feed and certainly judging by my DMs and maybe even some of the text I got from my non-Trojan aligned friends on the iJosh, I don't think you saw what I saw. I get the feeling you saw USC get torched. I get the feeling you saw San Jose State put up over seven yards per carry. Certainly these are mathematic facts. But I, I looked at this And I remembered what I tried to preach to you guys when we were talking about the Pac-12. Remember how to interpret USC's schedule. So Lincoln Riley's not stupid. He knows that they are not going to face a single team they don't overwhelm until week seven. And that includes, God bless them, San Jose State. Pretty good quarterback on that team, but still completely overmatched. So I watched it and I saw 22 different guys get in the defensive scoring sheet. I saw people rotating all throughout the game. And I looked at it and said, does this not feel like a scrimmage? Does this not feel like their second fall scrimmage? Does this not look like the spring game a little bit? And our guys over at uscfootball.com kind of said the same thing in their post-game wrap. Um, I think they just had a plan for how they wanted to manage the game. It wasn't going to be statistically friendly. And certainly if they found themselves in an unexpected dogfight, maybe they handle it differently, but that was never going to happen here. So USC ran it up on them. I think what most people took away is we're watching a third and 22 play if you're watching on YouTube, and it looks terrible. It's just, it's playground quality defense. That's what it was. It's, in other words, very reminiscent of what we saw from USC last year. As Mimal once famously said, USC could not slow down molasses in December. To me, I think they're much better defensively this year. But when I say they are, I'm speaking very much in the future tense, or I didn't, but I should have spoken in the future tense. I don't think what you saw yesterday is nearly the rotational plan they'll have. I don't think it's the depth chart plan they have. I think they'll settle on guys. Certainly, they want to develop and be able to rotate more waves in there. They didn't have that last year. They still won't have it this year. They're not going to be very good defensively. I just need them to be kind of good. If, they could, if, if Alex Grinch could get this defense to like just below average, given what they have offensively, that's good enough to compete in every game. That's good enough to win every game, theoretically. But you got to apply the proper filters to this team. Remember their schedule. Colin, uh, go in your Easy Bake Oven and pull out the first half of their schedule. There it is. Check this out. Have you ever seen a pan of cupcakes like this? San Jose State, next up we got Nevada, then Stanford, then bye week. Bye is actually a better team than two or three of these folks that they play early on. They go to Arizona State, they go to Colorado, they got Arizona. Then it starts. Then we start finding stuff out. They go to Notre Dame. They got Utah, they got Washington at Oregon and UCLA to close out the year. I skipped over Cal because I think Cal's garbage this year. So it's very backloaded. They will not face a team, they don't completely and totally drown talent-wise until that Notre Dame game. And that is, it's kind of close to Halloween. Some people will long since have had their Halloween decorations out by that point. I don't necessarily get down with that, but some people do, and that's their right. Zachariah Branch is a freak. We talked about him about three weeks ago when we were talking about impact players. And I remember it because we pointed him out. It's true freshman, five-star true freshman receiver for USC. We pointed him out. And some people came back and said, yeah, that kid's good, but USC is pretty loaded at receiver. I know they are. They don't have players like him, though. Bet you they don't have players like him. That's what I said. And they don't. They don't, he doesn't even have his mouthpiece in, guys. Imagine how good he'll be when he puts his mouthpiece in. I'm not going to do what some of you recklessly did yesterday and say, oh, he looks like Reggie Bush. But he looks like very few players who have come through that program. So let me just put it that way. It's always just fascinating with these loaded teams, or in USC's case, loaded receiver rooms, when a truly elite talent comes in from high school. He had four receptions for 58 yards and a touchdown. He returned a kickoff yesterday. He did all kinds of things, those punt returns. When an elite talent comes in to a position room, it doesn't matter how loaded the position room is. When a truly elite talent comes in, you can't keep him off the field. Zachariah Branch was never going to get kept off the field unless he got in trouble disciplinary-wise. And to hear the folks around USC tell it, he has no clue how good he even is. So he's kind of one of those happy-go-lucky, do his work, then just kind of put football on the back burner sort of guy. So I don't, he sounds like he's going to be really good out there. He looks like he's going to be really good. Let's just look, let's take USC and their performance for what it was yesterday. They pulled away from a team. They were never going to be challenged by them. I think they knew it, and I think they handled the game accordingly. Um, That's all I have to say on the matter. It was a good weekend in Indianapolis, Indiana this week, and it was especially a good weekend for those in the Carmel, Indiana area. And that's because we opened up a brand new Academy Sports and Outdoors there. Now, you know, as is customary around here, anytime we open a new Academy Sports and Outdoors, we send you guys there. And we send you guys there on a mission. Just prove to me that you went there. Prove to me that you made a purchase and you represented our show right there in the presence of our exclusive partner here on Lake Kick and I'm going to send you a chalice of supremacy. Well, Kim did just that. Kim headed over there, and Kim purchased a keychain of all things. I don't care. She was in the store, and she made a purchase. And so Kim, you, among others, have chalice of supremacy coming your way. Now, I'm going to give you guys until close of business today. This isn't a Chick-fil-A. We're open on Sundays here. I'm going to give you guys, if you went until close of business today, to prove to me in screenshot form, I'll take videos as well, that you were there for the grand opening, and I will probably have about three or four more Child Life Supremacy to send out to you. Academy Sports and Outdoors, our exclusive partner, they make this show free to you, and they do it very, very willingly. So we appreciate them. We got many, many more stores opening, but until then, if you can't get to one in person, academy.com. You don't just have to go when they're grand opening things. They've got all the stuff that you need. For your outdoors, for your grilling, for your bike riding, for your fall baseball, football, basketball league, etc. Yes, they carry etc. as well. Uh, Probably what will be the most contentious portion of this show is at hand now. And um, there's no easy way to do this. So I'm just going to tell you first off, thank you for watching if you're watching live. Got a big audience watching live. Like the video if you haven't already. It's time to predict the SEC this year. Who's winning this thing? Who are the sleeper teams? Who's our conference champ? What's the conference championship matchup? Well, courtesy of Ryan McGrady, got a little McGrady pop stat for you. The SEC has won the last four national championships. Not a surprise. If you remove the Bama-Georgia game where they literally played each other, the SEC has outscored the opposition 157-56. to over the other three games. They've won six of the last nine. Nice. They've won 13 of the last 17. So before you accuse me of SEC bias, please just remember, I happen to have the facts on my side when I talk about this conference. I'm not going to overthink the top of the SEC East. That's what I'm not going to do. It is Georgia's party. And until further notice, everyone else is just getting to hang out, not inside, but out on the front lawn. Now, Tennessee made some noise last year. Until they went to Athens. We were at that game. The, the only thing worse than going to a game that you expect to be good and it turns into a rout is getting rained on. Because then you're kind of mad and you're kind of soggy as well. And I don't like being soggy. Uh uh-uh. uh. And especially don't like going to a game that turns into a blowout. And despite what they tell you, that absolutely was a blowout. But then Georgia comes into this year. I don't care about last year, I'm trying to predict this year. What style of offense will they afford themselves the ability to play? So they've got Mike Bobo elevated as their OC. I don't worry about that. That's a non-issue for me. He'll be fine. With the running back situation, there are two schools of thought around this program. So they've been banged up. They lost a guy for the season the other day that they thought was rounding into feature back form. And there's a thought amongst people who just kind of follow recruiting, but they don't really get into the weeds of depth chart and roster that, oh, Georgia will just pump out another guy. Well, it's not as easy as that. Now, they've got players there. I think they've even got a couple of walk-ons that they believe could perform admirably. But you'll win national championships with admirable play. So will they afford themselves the opportunity to play offense the way they want to? And if they can't, you know, if they have to lean a little bit more on the pass, how does that wide receiver room perform? How does Carson Beck perform? I've got sky-high expectations for that kid. Like if I were to pick against Georgia this year, it wouldn't be because I doubt Carson Beck. Ironically enough, I know anyone else probably would say I'm not picking against Georgia because I got a new quarterback. Uh, that wouldn't be why I did it. It would be probably other facets of the team. But outside of Athens, you look at their schedule. Hmm. That at Tennessee, 11-18 kind of catches one's eye. All about Joe Milton with the Vols. Again, the entire theme in the East is: A, who can compete with Georgia? B, don't overthink the room. It's about Joe Milton. I can talk about Tennessee's defensive recruiting. I can talk about the three offensive line positions up for grabs. It's all about the quarterback. That's all about that. Now, there are other teams over here. I'm going to get to them in just a second. Over in the West, I got in a little, I don't know what you call it when you go back and forth with people on the internet, but I got in in a a type fight the other day with someone who was trying to degrade the good name of the SEC West, and their exact quote was... Don't tell me playing AM at Ole Miss and at Auburn is hard. Well, it is, actually. It is hard, immunity. It's really, really difficult because those are really good teams. The difference is when you play in a division that's pretty loaded, folks got to lose. For every one game that LSU wins, someone had to lose. Ditto, Bama wins, someone had to lose. So someone's going to be 7-5 and five here and be one of the 25 best teams in the country, but you won't believe that because you believe one of the big lies in our sport, which is, you are what your record says you are. Question to you, friend, if I put Arkansas or Auburn or Ole Miss in the Big Ten West, what would you call them? Answer, contenders. That's what you'd call them. Same team, same coach, same colors, everything. They'd be contenders all of a sudden. So yeah, it is a tough stretch to play. What look, I could go I could go Arkansas, I could go Mississippi State for that matter. I could go anyone in the West in that argument. Texas A&M, but look, Alabama has not missed the SEC Championship game in back-to-back years since 2010 and 2011. And they went ahead and won the national title in 2011 anyway. So it is very rare when we see Bama out of the title picture back-to-back years. Well, they are not favored to win the SEC Championship this year. Uh, they are a plus 155 to make the playoff. They are plus 600 to make the college football playoff championship game. You're going to see a radical, radical shift offensively there. I have continued to get the same kind of intel out of Tuscaloosa, Alabama for the entirety of fall camp. I'm going to share more of it with you in just a second. It is, it's encouraging, but it's also scary because it's it's a very, very fine line. It's a very, very thin needle that has to be threaded. I think that's the right usage of the word. But if it is threaded, it's going to be pretty violent over there in the SEC West. LSU has a lot of good on their team that they need to transition to great. Last year, LSU should have gotten all the praise they got. And they deserve it. And we gave it to them and everyone else should have as well. So they also got blown out by Tennessee. They also lost to Texas A&M. Again, because the expectation was so low, I could bake that in and it's still a really great year. We can't have that sort of thing this year. LSU's at the party now. LSU is not showing up as a stranger and everyone's trying to figure out, who, who's this? No, LSU's there now. And so offensive line and defensive line, it's what they keep talking about down there. And I think defensively in their front seven, maybe the best in the conference. They've got depth. Mason Smith, in other words, being out for the FSU game, that's not the kind of thing where you look and say, what are we going to do now? Roll other guys in, lean on other guys. Oh, by the way, outscore them. Like those are the sorts of things LSU can do. You want to know who the sleeper is in the SEC? Pretty much everybody. But when we talk sleepers in the SEC, I'm not necessarily talking about a sleeper contender to win the conference. You know, if I circle Kentucky, which I am, Kentucky's one of the biggest sleepers in college football to me. I am not circling Kentucky and saying, you better watch out. Boy, if they get into Atlanta and and face off against LSU or Alabama, those folks got their work cut out for them. It's not that. It's Kentucky could be better than whatever their preseason over-under win total is. Did you know, second McGrady stat special for the SEC, did you know eight of the top 10 strength of schedules in the country are in the SEC, per Bill Connolly of the S&P Plus, just so you don't think that's me throwing that out there. Six of the hardest six schedules in the country are in the SEC. Now, I know what the comment section will say. Well, that's just because if you blindly believe in the strength of the SEC, then strength of schedule is gonna be very incestuous because they all play each other, blah, blah, blah. Well, I believe in it because I think it happens to be true. So Kentucky's a sleeper. Offensive line, I think, has worked out. Devin Leary is a phenomenal pickup, the most underrated national pickup out of the portal that people are only just now starting to talk about. Good receiver talent there. Liam Cohen back as the offensive coordinator. Florida is the conundrum for me. We're going to see them in person four days from now out in Salt Lake City. We'll fly out there Wednesday for the Once Upon a Saturday tour, kicking off on a Thursday, ironically enough. Florida's going to go out there. They're going to play Utah. Graham Mertz is going to start at quarterback for them. I talked to Billy Napier at SEC Media Days, and one of the biggest things that I took away from what he said is, I evaluated the quarterbacks all the same. Mertz was my guy, but Paul Christ giving us as a staff the feedback that he gave us about how they misused that kid at at, uh, Wisconsin, that was valuable for us. That told us maybe there's more there. And if you think about it, you think about Penix and Knicks just on the West Coast. Producer Jesse made a good point today. He said, imagine two years ago, Telling people that Bo Nix and Michael Penix are going to be right there in the thick of the Heisman Trophy race two years later. Well, they are. They just had to go to other programs to realize their potential. What I didn't just do is say, look out for Graham Mertz in the Heisman race this year. What I did do is pump the brakes a little bit on just selling someone down the river because they didn't perform somewhere else, especially when that somewhere else was not a conducive passing environment. And the coaching staff's flat out admitting, yeah, we kind of screwed up with that guy. Mississippi State, uh, I keep calling all these teams the biggest sleeper, but Mississippi State's also one where every starter is going to be an upperclassman. 18 plus of their starters, maybe 19 or 20 of them will be seniors. They get LSU at home. They get Alabama at home. Uh, They've got a quarterback that people continue to doubt because they think he's a system guy. And I ask, how many quarterbacks aren't system quarterbacks? Although I know what you mean, your point is taken. I, I think that coaching staff understands what they have too. I don't think they're going to put him in a precarious situation this year, the, the one that Will Rogers can't handle. He's like 29 years old too. So he knows how to handle himself. But those are sleepers. Okay, South Carolina, I could mention, South Carolina just has got a ridiculously tough schedule. I want to know what our conference championship matchup here is. And I don't think it's all that difficult when the dust settles. I'm taking Alabama out of the West. I'm taking Georgia out of the East, and I'm putting them in Atlanta. Hey, Colin, since, we, since that happened, I'm just going to state it over again because we'll, we'll probably clip it. Yeah, thank you, sir. I'm taking Alabama out of the West. I'm taking Georgia out of the East. I think Alabama's going to win the SEC championship. I think the Alabama team you see early on will not resemble that. Very interesting year coming up. I actually think Georgia may look halfway wobbly out of the gate. So these two teams... There's a half-decent chance you watch them early in the year. You know they're loaded. They look like they can't get out of their own way. At least one of them is going to look like this, I can assure you. And I think you'll watch them, or casuals will watch them, and say, oh, they've fallen off. Not realizing, well, it's Middle Tennessee State. You know, it's any of a number of teams Georgia plays early. Kind of like USC yesterday. Uh, When they round into form, they will be the cream of the crop in the SEC. The team Alabama becomes will be the best in the SEC. I don't think they'll look like the best team in the SEC to start the year. Uh, they've they've won seven of the eight SEC titles that Saban has won with a first year starter at quarterback. It's not foreign territory for him. It just looks radically different than it has over the past few years. Here's the difference with them: they've known it's coming, and they've known they hadn't had an elite quarterback on that roster. And they know they still don't. And that hasn't snuck up on them. And that's why everything ideologically in that program shifted the moment that Kansas State game ended last year. You saw coaches hit the door. You saw players hit the door. And you saw an entire inversion in many cases from strength and conditioning to nutrition to overall philosophy. They've known what they're going to have to do this year for quite a while. And they're equipped to do it. I am telling you guys one more time, and then we'll just get to watch it. And that's upcoming Saturday. You have not seen an offensive line in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, play like the one you'll see this year in a long time. And that is the key behind everything this prediction revolves around. Style is going to make you doubt them early. I think it'll ultimately make you believe in them late, and I think they'll win the SEC championship. Did you know that it was a big week around here? It was a big week for us because the Pate State store opened back up. PateStateMaterial.com is open, and your boy here, fumbled things fantastically the other night because I told you the website on the live show Sunday night. I said, dot hey, com, but don't go there because it's not open. Well, some of you were smart enough to go there anyway. And it just so happens that we had soft launched during the show, unbeknownst to me. I wish I could say that was planned, but it wasn't. But hey, man, we got, a, we got a very limited selection for you right now. That Once Upon a Saturday shirt is so sweet because it is styled after the Rumors album by Fleetwood Mac. We, we didn't use the same font, just in case Warner Brothers is listening, but we used similar font. But that Paid State, My State, Handshake series there, some of you are asking, where's the South Carolina, where's the Clemson stuff, where's the Arkansas stuff? It's all coming, guys. It's all coming. This is the first wave of many, many, many waves that we have ahead. So I didn't want to crash the site because those of you who are real ones who were around last year, remember we could only keep that show, uh, that store open for like 10 minutes at a time and you kept crashing it. So we've eased ourselves in. We had a really, really good weekend of traffic. And so it's open now and we are going to be adding things. So keep checking it out, patestatematerial.com. I'm not going to use the show to promote it and plaster it all over the place. You know where to find it if you are so inclined. And I... Uh, we got so many ideas for that, but I'm not going to bore you with those right now. Just paystatematerial.com. The store is open. Enjoy. Notre Dame beat Navy yesterday, 42 to three. Everybody, everybody has an opinion on Notre Dame. So I figured I'd talk about this for just a second. I'm going to ask you slash implore you, no matter what your opinion is here, be better than the lane changing casual amongst us. You've seen the lane changing casual. He slash she, I, I'm fortunate to say, they, they exist all over the place. They were out in full force watching this Notre Dame game yesterday. The lane change casuals had a field day with Notre Dame. So here's what it sounded like. You probably heard it just like I did. It sounded like this in the pregame. Give me Navy plus 20 and a half. You know what? Sprinkle a couple of dollars on the money line. This is going to be a lot closer than anyone thinks it is. Fast forward to the end of the game. Well, of course they won 42 to three. Big deal. It's just Navy. Same person. Same person said both things you can't do this. You can't do this. If some of you found yourself slipping a little bit, it's okay. It's preseason for all of us. Don't be a lane-changing casual. Have a mentality. And if you were wrong about something, say you're wrong about it. If you're right about something, by all means, say you're right about it. But don't call something. Have it fall flat and then just switch and say, well, of course it happened that way. Well, I wasn't the tune you were singing four and a half hours ago, sir, ma'am. So... 42 to 3. Yeah, it was just Navy. This was dominance. I know Navy attempted like three passes. Yeah, it's Navy. This was dominance. Quote from earlier this month. We dug in the archives. Quote On this show. How about this? Notre Dame goes as far as those true freshman wide receivers can take them. Well, Jaden Greathouse watched the show at least because he had three catches for 68 yards and a couple of scores yesterday. Uh, I was looking at Tim Prister's final thoughts on this game over on irishillustrated.com. He made a great point. When is the last time you watched a Notre Dame football game and a tight end wasn't even targeted? Forget a reception. They didn't even target the tight end position and nine different guys caught passes. So either that means Notre Dame has ripped the tight end pass out of the playbook, unlikely, or they didn't really even open the offense up a whole heck of a lot yesterday, I would lean towards the latter rather than the former. We got a padlock stat. So many things coming back on the show. Yes, the padlock stat is back. Sam Hartman led Notre Dame to touchdown drives on the first five possessions. That is the first time that has happened for Notre Dame since 2011. Translation, we back, baby. We back. Uh, So much could have looked ugly in this game, and it didn't. So, you know, on this show, it doesn't matter if you're favored by 10 or 50, if you do what you're supposed to do in a world where so many people shirk their responsibilities on a week-in, week-out basis, we will give you credit. I'm not going to give you flowers because that statement's already very played out, but I will give you credit. And Notre Dame did above and beyond what they were supposed to do. They opened the season 17th in the JP poll. The AP poll had them higher maybe we had Notre Dame underrated. I'm not jumping onto the playoff bandwagon. I'm not doing any of that. I'm just saying Marcus Freeman had his team ready to play. And remember, they had very late offensive coordinator turnover in this program. So Tommy Reese was there. Then Saban went and got him. So they elevated Gerard Parker. Yeah, I always struggle with his name. They elevated the tight ends coach. Looked really good yesterday. One game sample size. You know who they play this week? Tennessee State. Tennessee State is rolling in the South Bend this week. Tennessee State is playing a game on national television. And Tennessee State's right by the YMCA I work out at. So, it's good news for everyone around here. Congrats to Marcus Freeman though. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy to have a football team look that prepared in week 1. Sometimes even if you play against air, they don't look that prepared. Half these teams suck during warm-ups and those are just drills. So, congrats to Marcus Freeman. 1 and 0. One and know, oh, that's what that means. They're watching us in Tokyo, Japan, by way of Mobile, Alabama. Whomst amongst us hasn't uttered that phrase a time or two. They're watching us in Topsham, Maine, and Florence, Alabama. Thank you guys so much. It looks like a landfill in front of me, Colin. Look at this. I got Post-its all over the place. I haven't even taken a sip from the chalice. And that's because uh, we still got, I'm trying to pace myself. This is a very, very, very heavy packet of paper still in front of me. All right, let's continue to roll on. It is prediction night. We have, we have trained for this. We've geared ourselves up for this. I heard, um, I heard, by the way, on the street, that a number of people are starting to inquire as to what the mysterious liquid is in the chalice of supremacy. Some of you think it's alcoholic. The rest of you know me better than that but I have not revealed what this drink is. And I'm going to tell you why. It's very simple. The company that manufactures this liquid does not sponsor this show. This is not Academy Sports and Outdoors juice, in other words. And so until they do, it's just some mysterious liquid. Chalice of Choice liquid. That's what we call it for now. Let's go to the Big 12. Big 12 picks. Who is playing for the conference title? Who's winning this conference? The identity of this conference, I can't stress this enough, is different than it was last year. Last year, really the last few years, it's been very competitively balanced. It's looked like the Pac-12 looks this year. That is not it. I am telling you, there is a slam dunk favorite in this conference, and it's Texas. There is a slam dunk number two, and that's Oklahoma. That means nothing once they kick it off, but there is a separation, in my mind, there's a separation of tier one, and it may just be Texas alone in tier one, but Oklahoma's up there too. So like I said, that guarantees nothing, especially in this conference. I know that. I know that. I know that. How competitive is tier two though? Or am I even right about tier one? Or will it all just be one giant tier two? You know what the, you know what the hidden story is in the Big 12? The depth of coaching talent is insane here. All the good coaches aren't just in two conferences, guys. Go past Sark and Brent Venables. Frankly, we got more questions about those guys than we have about half a dozen other coaches in the conference. Chris Kleiman at Kansas State is excellent. Uh, Think about what Leipold's doing at Kansas and he's gonna have the most returning production in the country this year. Let's see what he does with it. Dave Aranda is just hanging out at Baylor. Matt Campbell's at Iowa State and all of a sudden his program's fallen off the lead pack a little bit and everyone's forgotten about him. Mike Gundy is still at Oklahoma State. Joey Maguire is doing and is in the process of continuing to do great things at Texas Tech, could really flash on the national radar this year. Gus Malzahn is now a Big 12 head coach, and you may be thinking to yourself, okay, but that's it, right? Like, surely he's not just going to keep naming names. Guys, I didn't even list the, the dude who just took his team to the national title last year. Sonny Dykes is at TCU. We just got to the eighth name I listed. And, oh, by the way, this guy played for a national title last year. They're really deep. They're really deep and talented at the coaching position. And while those guys don't take the field, they impact things in a big way. The sleeper team in this conference, I think, is Texas Tech. And unlike the SEC in the Big 12, if you're a sleeper team, you could legitimately win the conference. Like, Texas Tech's unranked in the AP right now. Couldn't be us in the J.P. poll. We got them in the top 25. If you're looking for a team that could bottle that sort of TCU energy from last year, I think it could be Texas Tech even more than TCU this year. Uh, There is a thought floating around the college football sphere. False, I might add. But it's floating nonetheless that I don't like TCU, which is insane. I'll address it in a second. But Texas Tech, that over under seven and a half wins, Man, if they get off to a hot start, that Oregon game in week two is so underrated because it's the same day Texas plays Bama. Utah goes to Baylor that day. Wild day. Wild day in the Big 12. But don't overlook that game out there in Lubbock. How many kids in Eugene, Oregon, you think have ever been to Lubbock, Texas? How many, how many dudes on the coaching staff have ever been to Lubbock, Texas? I would love, I would love to sit that coaching staff down. No guide, no Google. Take this pin and point to Lubbock, Texas on this map of the state of Texas. Some folks would get exposed. Some folks would get exposed. Anyway, so all those coaches plus Sark and Venables, but the sleeper team aside from Texas Tech in the Big 12, I think Kansas. And we were kind of going back and forth. Well, should we mention Kansas? Well, of course, shame on you, Jesse. Of course we should mention Kansas. Because Jesse was the one standing in the way, not me. Uh, number one in returning production. Uh, this is a very controversial stat. It's it's like returning production is the new returning starters stat. So there are people who care about returning starters, and there are people like me who couldn't care less about it. Well, the people who couldn't care less about returning starters, we lean on things like returning production. And then the the stat nerd crowd looks down on us and says, there's so many more important things. I didn't say it was the end all be all. I'm not going Miss Cleo on you and claiming that this stat and this stat alone tells me everything I need to know. I just think it's noteworthy, that's all. I don't see a lot of randos winning conference titles, so I like to know a few names on the backs of the jerseys. They experienced everything last year at Kansas. They started hot, just like Illinois. Then they cooled off and lost their quarterback in the process. Uh, That is Big 12 Preseason Player of the Year, Jalen Daniels at quarterback, by the way. So watch Kansas and TCU, okay? So everyone claims I hate TCU now because I made the grave mistake of saying I don't think they'll finish top four in the conference. Well, I got news for you. I didn't predict them to go to the national title last year either, and they did that. So Hoopst really cares. But I don't think they're going to finish top four only because they have to hit on all these portal moves. That's what happens when you lose what they lost, player-wise and coach-wise, maybe they just completely shot the moon. Maybe they did. I, I am in the skeptical have to see it to believe it camp, but Chandler Moore is still there at quarterback. Still there. They start off with Colorado. They're going to be on national TV. They're going to win that game. Spoiler alert. And so um, we'll see. They got, a, they got a tough little treacherous month of November at Texas Tech. Texas, Baylor at OU. So those are sleepers. But look, we're here to talk about conference championships and conference winners, are we not? Before I reveal it, I want to tell you, do not give up on teams in this conference when they lose a game. Do not give up on teams in this conference when they lose two games. Ryan McGrady, special here from Stats & Info. The last three Big 12 champs have all had two or more conference losses. Not even out of conference, guys. They are winning conferences out there with two losses in league play. So it's in some ways only just getting good once teams start losing. Conference championship, I'm taking Texas, but I'm taking them over Oklahoma State, a team I think is going to come out of nowhere and surprise people this year after they fell off a cliff last year. Let me first start with the Cowboys. So Mike Gundy's really good. And Mike Gunney knows what he's doing, and it looks like his roster got gutted by the transfer portal. I think it's one of the bigger illusions right now in the Big 12. I think they added some good pieces too, extremely underrated on the defensive line. I would implore them to figure out the quarterback position, but I think they will, and I think there's a level of play that I'll get at the quarterback position out of them that's going to have them right in the thick of things. And the other thing you need to keep in mind is their schedule is insanely workable. I want you to think about the sentence that's about to come out of my mouth. Oklahoma State plays in the Big 12. They play one team in the state of Texas the entire year. And it's Houston. They don't play Baylor. They don't play TCU. They don't play Texas. They don't play Texas Tech. How is this possible? I don't know. But if they find their footing and they've got time to, because their first conference game is Iowa State, and then they got a bye week, they could do this. But eventually, if they make it to the conference title game, I got Texas waiting there, and Texas will win that game. And I think Texas will win the Big 12 championship. They've got everything I need, and then some. They extend beyond just a Big 12 favorite in my mind. However, it's new territory for them if they get there. How many losses do they have if they get there? Big difference between an 11 and 1 or 12 and 1 in that case big 12 champ and like a, a, an 11 and 2 or a, or I don't know I mean if they could even theoretically get there with just 10 wins if you got that that's the peak of the mountain for you this year still be really good still a really good year but if they're a playoff contender this will be a formality if Texas is good enough to make the playoff they will stand far and above out in the Big 12 now what I didn't do is focus on Oklahoma a lot It's almost like I think Oklahoma is going to be pretty good. So I don't have them as a sleeper. I also don't see them peaking to the degree that they're in the conference championship game. Therefore, in a conference prediction, in a conference championship prediction, I I didn't really have much to say about them. I've covered Oklahoma a lot this spring and summer. I didn't have a lot to say about them there. So I got Texas over Oklahoma State. And I'm either going to be really, really right or really, really wrong there. It's a very, very tough conference to predict. Hey, do me a favor, by the way, as I just peek over here. uh, We are less than 180 subs away from 200,000 subs on the channel. So this confirms mathematically that we can do this by the end of the show, because well over 400, well, not 400,000, that would be a record. Well over 4,000 of you are watching live. So just go ahead and make it happen. Hey, if you're an Oklahoma State fan in here, you really better make it happen. No one else is going to do for you what I just did for you, I promise. And I'm not above rescinding a pick. We have a very, very good cause that we're doing on the show. We have an auction that we're partnering with CBS to participate in. I've, I've always gone on the record as saying, never pay money to talk to me. Never, 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 never. Terrible idea. Whoever advises you to do that, kick him out of your social circle. However, we partner with St. Jude a few times a year for cancer research for children. And we auction off a private Zoom call with me. And on that Zoom call, if you win this bid, we, we go anywhere you want to. And um, it's always very interesting conversation. Most of you want to know behind the scenes stuff. Uh, most of you want to know about your favorite coach. Most of you want to know about the stories that I can't tell on air. Some of you have asked me to put Colin or Jesse on, but no one's paid enough money for that yet, candidly. Uh, but this is always really fun. It's for a great cause. The link for this is in the show description right now. So you can you can click on it right now if you want to. Uh, the bidding is going to go through Tuesday night, so Tuesday I think about 6 p.m. is when this cuts off right before our Tuesday night show, actually. So that's that's out on the socials, but it's also right here in the show description. If you're listening on podcast, come over to YouTube. It's okay over here; no one's gonna bite you. Subscribe while you're here, and you can find the link there. Uh, but that's a really good cause, and we have a really really good time. I have never had a bad conversation with one of you. Oh, it's ACC picks time. This was was the toughest one. This was my holdout. The ACC was my holdout. I settled on all the rest of these picks a little while ago. Not the ACC, though. Okay. Um, I'll tell you where I want to start here. Okay. In the ACC, I have waited for this moment for so long. It's borderline Phil Collins lyrics here. I've waited for this moment all of my life. Competition for Clemson. They've won the ACC seven of the last eight years. No one has stepped up consistently. FSU and Miami have been utter failures. The state of Virginia is nowhere to be found. And until recently with FSU, it didn't look like it was changing. North Carolina, maybe every now and then. Pitt, maybe every now and then. Well, all of a sudden it looks different now, doesn't it? In fact, I got Florida State one spot ahead of Clemson in the preseason JP poll. And we all know how how big that factor that is four months down the road. So we got that. We've got an internal shakeup staff-wise, period, at Clemson. I wonder how that affects them. Just the knowledge that there's another contender in the room. To me, it's pretty clear where this conference is going at the end of the year. But Miami and North Carolina, along with Pitt, those are the teams that I think could have something to say about that. So North Carolina, uh, very, very weak defensively last year. I, I got to be honest with you. I have not bought some of the rumblings that they're going to be significantly improved on that side of the ball. And if they're not, that means they wasted the career of a really good quarterback in Drake May because they, they will have not gotten anything more than just uh, flashes as a team out of him. Miami's going to have a turnaround this year. Miami will be a better football team this year. Miami's got two new coordinators, and Miami's still got a lot to get back on track. They're going to have to rely on true freshmen and transfer portal guys. How big is the turnaround? You guys happy with eight wins down there? That's where I had you at. Uh, But if they go over that, nine wins, 10 wins, they could be a factor in this. Virginia and Virginia Tech are so disappointing to me. I should be talking about them every year. And the coaching staffs are not high enough caliber there. I'm not just talking about head coaches. The staffs there are not good enough right now. They do not measure up. They don't compare. They got to get better. Uh, There's no excuse for football at the college level in the state of Virginia to be bad for an extended period of time. No excuse for that. The sleepers in this conference, Louisville, obviously, partly because of the pieces, partly because of schedule, but we've talked about them a lot, I feel like, on the show. So let's just keep an eye on them. Um, it, It could be a product of both, but I think that they could be in this thing just because of schedule alone. But Pitt, there's some crazy stuff going on with Pitt right now. Pitt just continues to climb up the odds board. So there is, there is a lot of wildness happening in the betting markets with Pitt. It, it reeks almost like of politics where someone knows something about a candidate. Is Narduzzi running in 2024? I don't know, but he keep, his team keeps on creeping up the odds board. And so Phil Dracovic, in case you didn't know of Boston College fame, starting quarterback there, They're confident in their system and their roster. They're always putting guys in the NFL. They're never in the top 10 in recruiting. They just, they know how to do things at Pitt. Uh, Duke, here's my question. What if I gave Duke Louisville's schedule? Because Duke's got Riley Leonard at quarterback. They have got, they have done a great job there. Mike Elko's done a great job. They've gotten the 19th highest level of returning production in college football, but they play six of the top six teams in the ACC plus Notre Dame. They can't win with that schedule. I mean, they can't, they can't make legitimate noise in the conference with that schedule. And so with that in mind, who's playing for a conference championship over here? I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, something will have to really, really change drastically, but I got Florida State over Clemson in the ACC championship game. And you know what I think? And this is just a feel here. There's no skill in predicting this to me. I think Clemson will get them the first time around. If I had to bet right now, I'd lean Clemson in that first game, but I don't think there's going to be much separation in those teams. And I think Florida State's going to be good enough to punch a ticket to a rematch in Charlotte. And I think the team Florida State may be, if they're able to stay healthy by December, could be a better version than the one Clemson plays that Saturday evening in Death Valley. I think Florida State's going to end up winning the thing. And same question as I had with Texas. If they win it, Is it a two-loss team? Is it a one-loss team? What kind of team are we looking at? Is it more than just a conference champ? Because you know, right now, to me, the ACC is right there in line with like the Big Twelve, the Pac-12, in wondering will their champ be high caliber enough to be included in the college football playoff? And I, I've still struggled, gone back and forth on that. But yeah, I didn't know I was doing that as of like two days ago. I'm taking Florida State, slight, slight number two in the odds market right now behind Clemson to win the conference. I'm taking Florida State to win the conference. So there you go, Bryant McFadden. You tried to talk me into it seven months ago and I'm there for you now. Oh boy. You know what's become tradition around here? I forgot about this. I have put chapstick on about once a show for the past three weeks and it served me very well have chapped lips, kids. We're entering that time of year. Humidity is only about 80 degree dew point around here right now. It's getting kind of crisp. The Once Upon a Saturday tour is headed to Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm flying there this Wednesday. It's a Thursday game. Do I care? No, I do not. The Once Upon a Saturday tour will be in a town. We will be at a game of our choice every Saturday this fall. If you're new to this show, here's what's up. Let me break it down for you. We are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Number one, because a major company pays me to do nothing but talk college football all year. And then they let me pick whichever game I want to go to and just stand on the sideline. And added bonus, this Thursday, we will do our show live from Utah, I think inside the stadium, I believe, uh, before the game. So, so our Thursday edition of Late Kick Live is going to be really early in the day. The tentative plan is three o'clock Eastern one o'clock mountain time. So I'll, I'll send out final word on that. But anyway, yeah, it's going to be a load of fun. I've never been to a game at Utah. And there is a very strong rumor, very strong, that we're also going to show up at a Saturday game. But we just haven't announced which one it is because I won't be alone. Because a couple of the fine gentlemen who are just in this room over here to my right are going to accompany me which means I'm going alone because a lot of you think they don't exist. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll probably see some of you guys Saturday. But on the record, first stop in the Once Upon a Saturday tour is 8:31:23, and that is out in Salt Lake City, Utah, and we're looking extra forward to that because, like I said, we've never been to a game there. And so we will announce our next destination on the tour every Sunday night. So our week two destination, we will announce next Sunday night. And so on and so forth. Hey, I had a question on Twitter today. I wanted to fit this in the show. Remember, we've got National Championship predictions still coming up. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you haven't already. Uh, let's just get a little updated count here. We still need about 150, 150 subs. And I know good and well about 47% of you are not subscribed to the channel. And I know that you have it in your heart to do what's right. Mima would want it this way. Yours, not mine. You already know how mine feels. Your Meemaw would want it this way. You going to let Meemaw down tonight? Hmm? On the Lord's Day? You going to let Meemaw down? I don't think so. Subscribe to the channel, please. Jamari hit us up from Spartanburg, South Carolina, and he asked, which coaches would I say are feeling the most pressure this year? Jimbo Fisher is a slam dunk number one. Jimbo's feeling a ton of pressure. The rule on our show is there are two kinds of pressure. You've got competitive pressure, which means... You're just in a high-stakes environment, which to some degree everyone feels, some more than others. But competitive pressure doesn't mean your job's on the line. The other kind of pressure is job security pressure. Full disclosure, I'm not sure which one Jimbo's feeling, maybe a little bit of both, but man, this is a place where every other box is checked. I told you guys a little while ago, I'll tell you once more because a lot of you have come back to the channel for the fall, there is a widely held school of thought that a and has got everything else they need. Now, they may have the head coach they need too, but there is a school of thought that if they don't get it done this year, that they are more likely than you think to pull the trigger out there because they know elsewhere they've got everything. There is nothing they lack in that scenario where they win six games this year. There's nothing they lack other than the right head coach. So Jimbo is definitely feeling that pressure. I think Neil Brown at West Virginia is feeling the most preseason pressure for his job of any Power Five head coach in the country. And I mean, look, I, I know some folks around that program thought they were going to move on him after last year and they didn't. Okay, so are we going to find ourselves watching Neil Brown finish the season this year? Are they going to have a good year and make it a moot point? Or is it going to be one of those deals like at Nebraska last year or like at Wisconsin where they get four games into the season, five games into the season, and then they hit the dump button and it makes you say, well, why did you even start the year with him? Which is a valid question. I think Lincoln Riley at USC is feeling pressure, competitive pressure, not job security pressure. I, I go back 24 hours where, where a lot of you guys were watching them eh, struggle statistically on defense against San Jose State. I think that'll get cleaned up to a degree, but what if it doesn't? What if they're just not good? again this year. Well, I'll tell you what'll happen. There'll be some really, really tough decisions that'll have to be made because um, you can't maintain that defensive staff and, and continue to think that you're going to be involved in like postseason consideration. They're going to the Big Ten next year. Like you, you think that they're about to be subpar defensively in that league? Of course they're not. They can't afford to be that in the Pac-12, much less the Big Ten. So I think that Lincoln Riley is feeling that kind of pressure. Uh, The bad part for him is it's kind of in a given season, it's out of his control. Now, it's in his control to hire his DC, but he doesn't have anything to do with defense. So there's that. I think Billy Napier is feeling a lot of pressure at Florida. That's crazy. You know, it's a good idea. It's a good time for us to bring our friend, the alien, back to the broadcast. We do this occasionally from time to time. When we need an outside opinion, some of you use research firms, focus groups. We just have a hypothetical alien that we bring onto the show. And he comes down and he says, hey, alien, how, how have you been? Long time, no talk. There's a guy that's had a grand total of one season at a program that was pretty much a tire fire when he took it over. And the alien would probably say something like, oh, okay, well, give him a few years, right? And we say, not so fast, alien. A lot of these people want it in a microwave, at which point you explain to the alien what a microwave is. And I think the alien or any outsider for that perspective would look and say, all we are saying is give Billy a chance. And those who are in the Florida fan base look back and say, we don't feel like taking time to do this. He's got the portal. He's got everything at his disposal. He needs to be a lot better this year. Now, you may think that's irrational, but it's reality. And so look, here's the good thing for him. They're over-unders five and a half in the win column or the win total. So if they go seven and five this year, we can legitimately say he overachieved. I think they're going over five and a half wins, by the way. I've got him top 25 in the JP poll. So means nothing. He's still got to follow through on it. Uh, it would be very good. It would be very, very good for him to get that first win at Utah uh, by any means necessary this Thursday. Ryan Day is the one feeling the most competitive pressure because Ryan Day, uh, contrary to popular belief out there, runs no risk of losing his job this year if he loses to Michigan for a third time in a row. I, I don't believe that. I think it's insanity. And I, I respect. I respect the tradition up there. I get I get why you would say that. No, no, no. Now, this, this is a program that makes very sound decisions when it comes to coaching. They're not getting rid of a guy if he goes 11 and one and loses to Michigan 30 to 24 in the big house. That's not happening. But, but, and one day I'll tell you, and I probably won't because it was, it was off the record. I had a little talk with Ryan Day about that last month. He gets it, man. He gets it. He doesn't shy away from it. He he knows what time it is, and so if any of you had started to think about feeling sorry for him, don't. He doesn't need you to. He doesn't. No one up there does. Shout out Jerry Emig there, getting some Facetime just barely. Uh, I think still though, knowing the unique dynamic of that rivalry, Ohio State and Michigan, and knowing how much they outresource everyone else up there. It's so weird. If the alien was still here, he already flew back home. If the alien was still here, I would try to explain to him, it doesn't matter if you win all of them. If you lose that Michigan game up there in this sport, it's considered a failure. (gasps) Gasp. Yeah, that's pressure. It's real pressure. Can you imagine how uncomfortable life is if you lose consecutive games to Michigan, much less three in a row, which hasn't happened in that series this millennium? That's pressure. He's not going to lose his job, but that's pressure. And Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. hey, You got everybody with a live microphone in their face from coast to coast, me included, telling you that this team's going to be really good this year. And it's easy because we don't have to coach and we don't have to play. So I can, I can confidently tell you it's been easy for me to say what I've said about them. I don't have to back it up. They do. And they're the ones who get hated on if it goes sideways. Not me. I'll just blame the model. I'll throw the model under the bus in a second. I just want the credit. I have no interest in the blame. But Steve Sarkeesian can't duck the blame. He's got to take the blame. And so if, if they don't win 10 games, if they don't win the Big 12, it's a failure for them this year. I think they know it. I think Steve Sarkeesian believes the same thing. And I think he's fully in the belief that he's got the team to get it done. And I believe he does too. That's why I predicted him to get the job done. But whether it's Jimbo or Billy Napier or Sark, uh, Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, Neil Brown, all those guys are feeling some kind of pressure this year, and I could go through the rest of the list of coaches in America. Those are just the ones that stand out in my mind. Uh, We still got a couple more things to get to, and there was, there was a thought in the, in the studio that the show may take two hours tonight, so at least we're going to come in under that. 116 subs away from 200,000. What if I went on a hunger strike? I'm not going on a hunger strike because I'm really hungry, so I got to go eat right after the show, but maybe for 300,000, I'll go on a hunger strike. All right, here's what we're going to do. Catch you up where we are. I got to give you Pac-12 predictions. I've got to make a very special betting-related announcement. Toot toot. And then we're picking the playoff. I'm going to flat out tell you who I think is going to win the national championship. All that's coming up right now. Like the video if you haven't already, and subscribe to the pod and channel if you haven't already. In the Pac-12, it's anybody's ballgame. There are six teams out here. There's a, there's a six-pack of teams, and the odds say that pretty much any of them could win the title. This conference has college football playoff contenders, but I know a lot of you don't believe that. That's okay. It's important for me to be right here. It's important for one or two of them to elevate. We can't just have bumper cars out there. I've got to have one or two of them elevate. Who plays defense, I think, in a conference full of quarterbacks will determine who wins this. Last year, listen to what stats and info came up with. Paper pop. Last year, the Pac-12 had five of the top 10 scoring offenses in the country. Yeah, pretty good. Not surprising, right? Well, uh, defensively, things weren't nearly as pretty out there. Utah, as of this moment, is the only team with a projected top 30 defense, according to S&P+. And they've got big-time health questions at quarterback. Now, for the record, I disagree with the S&P Plus projection. Bill Connolly pretty much invented math. But I do think that there's going to be at least one other team out there that lands inside the top 30 in total defense. But anyway, sleepers in the Pac-12, I don't think we have anywhere to go out here. I don't think there's a team outside of that top six that's going to make legitimate noise in the, in the conference championship picture. So the top six, in case you haven't been paying attention, Southern Cal, Oregon, Washington, Utah, Oregon State, and UCLA. Uh, JP poll is very high on both teams from Oregon. Just let me spoil the ending for you there. Do Do you really think that Cal, either of the Arizona teams, Stanford, Washington State, or Colorado are going to be a factor there? I don't. I just don't. If you disagree, more power to you. Hopefully you're right. It's going to be very fun to watch Jaden Rashada start at quarterback for Arizona State. It's going to be very fun to watch Travis Hunter play both ways, probably at a really high level for Colorado, but I don't think those teams are going to make noise. But here's where I differ from the AP poll. If you're asking me for the tiers of teams in the Pac-12, I, I think it's Oregon and USC in tier one, and that's it. And then I go tier two, and I got Oregon State in Utah and UCLA and Washington. But I wonder, is tier 1 bigger than that? Is it smaller than that? Is there no tier 1? Is it just a bunch of above average teams in tier 2? Well, that's what we get to conference championship predictions for, right? So the conference championship picture in the Pac-12, I'm it may not emerge until later in the year, especially with USC not even entering the meat of their schedule until mid-October but you know where I'm going with this? I think Oregon's the most underrated team in the Pac-12 AP versus JP poll. I'm putting Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. I'm putting UCLA in the Pac-12 championship game. More on that in a second. And I think Oregon and Dan Lanning will take it over Chip Kelly and the UCLA Bruins when the dust settles out there in Las Vegas. UCLA is going to raise some eyebrows here. A couple of things. They keep getting better. They've got their quarterback situation worked out, and that doesn't mean that the guy who starts week one is going to be starting in week nine. It could be the opposite. That's the point. They've got all the insurance they need with Garbers, and I think he'll probably start at the beginning of the year. And if he goes wire to wire, that means he played well enough. And he does, if he doesn't, it means that Dante Moore had what it took to overtake QB1, which is all the better for them. They have fortified their lines of scrimmage. They went and got really, really good high-level help in the portal at the running back position. They, unlike some of these other teams in the top tier, only play, I think, three of the other top five teams in the top half of the league. All the rest of them play either four of them or all five of them. And I think that by the end of the year, you're going to look at UCLA and say, hmm, a lot better than I thought they'd be. But I think Oregon's a lot better than you think they'll be on both lines of scrimmage including the offensive line where preview magazine syndrome or PMS would lead you to believe that's going to be a weakness for them. Offensive line is not going to be a weakness for Oregon. Defensive line and defensive personnel and versatility uh, is going to allow them to be a lot more multiple on that side of the ball than they were last year. And Bo Nix is still there. And so I think they're going to not only win the league, I think they're also going to be in playoff contention. I think it's going to be a really, really good year for Oregon in their last year in the Pac-12. I have got two things to tell you. I've got an eyelash in my eye. Okay, we took care of that. Just that easy. You know what's back? The Ramen Noodle Express is back this year. It felt so good to say. It's been bottled up. So many people ask questions about it. The Ramen Noodle Express is back starting 48 hours from now. I will have picks for week one in 48 hours. The Ramen Noodle Express killed it. We put kids through college two years ago. And then last year we treaded water and we finished just above 500. And you know what? It's no way to live. And so I punish myself. I'm that kind of kid who gives his own self a spanking. I don't need my parents to do it. It's always been a policy of mine. And so, um, we're, we're, we're back. I want you to put the word out that we're back. The ramen noodle express is back. And you know what else? Double paper pop. Friday Night Lions is back. So if you're not already following on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh, for two reasons. Number one, there is so much valuable behind the scenes content at these games we go to in that Instagram story. Frankly, there's a lot of stuff in that Instagram story that peels back the uh, layers and the curtain to the degree that I don't on the show. So you're missing out big time if you're not following on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. But also, on Friday night, very laid back, sort of off the record, sort of an inside club sort of thing. Not like a country club, like management's a part of, but sort of just an inside club. We get together, you and I, on Instagram Live, and I put out the call about an hour before we do it, and it's just us. It's not, it's not even like a CBS production. It's just us, and I have the model pulled up. Normally, I'm in a hotel room on the road somewhere while everyone else is out getting in trouble, I'm in my hotel and I'm grinding away, but on a computer model. And you guys toss me games and I tell you what the model thinks. Sometimes I hand out late bets. At the very least, I give you my opinion on the board the next day. It fun is had by all. And we're um, we're full steam ahead. So Ramen Noodle Express is back. Friday Night Lions is back. Make sure you're following at Late Kick Josh if you haven't already. I have got one more thing on the docket here. Jesse, did you see the surge in subs there? We are, um, we're less than 80 away. I mean, we got like 5,000 people watching live. Hey, uh, 80 of you, really quick, subscribe to the channel and so, so that we can not have to worry about this when I drive home tonight. I just want to drive home in peace. It's that time of year. It's time. We have got to do college football playoff picks and we got to crown a national champion. And... This is as real as it gets. On a show that doesn't focus on the playoff a lot, this is just about the last time you'll hear me talk about the playoff until November. Let's do one thing, Colin. There it is, right on cue. Let's remember our conference championship winners. I'm taking Bama over Georgia in the SEC. Doesn't mean anything. Both of them could make the playoff. I'm taking Ohio State over Iowa in the Big Ten. The Big 12, give me Texas over a surprise Oklahoma State team. I like Florida State over Clemson in the ACC and I take Oregon over UCLA in the Pac-12 championship game. (sighs) I had to go back and forth several times on how I think this playoff is going to shake out. And as I posted on Twitter earlier today, at WrestleMania 17, Vince McMahon told Michael Cole, you want shocking? Tonight, you'll get shocking. then what did he say, Jesse? I guarantee it. I don't like following the crowd. And it's not just because I want to dress differently, although obviously I do. I just don't think the crowd's right very often. Meemaw used to tell me all the time, you see the crowd headed somewhere, you find the fork in the road and you take the deviant path. Don't be a deviant child. Take the deviant path because the deviant children are all hanging out together. I got to be real. That wasn't a Meemaw quote. I just made that up. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have Ohio State win the Big Ten, and we're going to have them lock up the number one overall seed. Ohio State in the playoff. I got Bama winning the SEC. I've got Bama probably losing a game in the regular season, and therefore I think Alabama is going to lock up the number two seed on the strength of being the SEC champ. Here's where it gets a little muddy. I'm really high on Oregon. And so not only do I think the Oregon Ducks are going to win the Pac-12, I think Oregon is going to be a team that surges. I think Bo Nix is going to have a tremendous year, not just because of the poster in New York City. I think Oregon's going to make the playoff, and I think they're going to be the three seed. And that's because the four seed is actually coming from the Big Ten, and it's not Michigan. I think Penn State is going to find a way to lose one game and no more. And they may not play in the Big Ten championship game, but that one loss non-conference champ team that so many people will think is either Bama or Georgia or it's Ohio State or Michigan, I think it's Penn State. You give me Ohio State, you give me Bama as the one and two. I've got Oregon three and I got Penn State four. There are obviously glaring omissions there. So let me address Georgia. My thought on Georgia is I think they're going to lose a regular season game, and I've got them losing in Atlanta, and a two-loss Georgia team's not going to the playoff. Uh, It's kind of sacrilege to say right now. It's really not, guys. It's just hard to do. It's very hard to pull this off. There is stuff always working against you in this sport, but when you're trying to walk a tightrope 100 floors above the road, it's really, really hard to pull off. I don't obviously love them losing Branson Robinson, and that's before the season, it's not that they don't have capable guys in the backfield. I don't know that they've got like game changing difference makers back there. And if I also don't know that they've got the kind of pass rush they've had in years past. And I am looking at Carson Beck as highly as I think of him and asking him to do with that receiver room, what no one's done in a long time. And that's find A thousand yard receiver somewhere in there. I just think the margins are a lot thinner uh, than the rest of America does. Now, It sounds kind of hypocritical because I got Georgia power rated as the number one team in the country right now. And if they played the playoffs today, I'd pick them to win the national championship. I think the course of the season is going to bear out that some teams are going to get better. And I don't necessarily know that that Georgia surge that we've seen is going to happen this year. So I got them losing a regular season game. I don't know which one because that's not how I choose regular season records. And I think they're going to lose in Atlanta. So Georgia out of the playoffs. Shocking though that may be. And I got Michigan out of the playoffs too which was very simple, but also very difficult. So what I think is going to happen is I think they're going to Penn State and I've got them losing that game. And I also favor Ohio State over them at the end of the year. And so that that would mean Michigan's not in the Big Ten title game. And Michigan certainly, Michigan doesn't have probably the strength of schedule to even lose one game and make the playoff unless some other stuff goes right. But I certainly don't have them in there if they lose two games. So we got Bama, Oregon in the 2-3 slot. We got Ohio State versus Penn State in a rematch in the 1-4 spot. I think Alabama is going to be in the national championship game. I think Ohio State's going to be in the national championship game. In a rematch of that 2020 COVID year, I don't think that Ohio State will employ the same guys at linebacker to cover Alabama's best receiver as they did that particular game. Uh, I think Alabama is going to beat Ohio State for the national championship. So, uh, that's obviously a phenomenal year for Ryan Day and the Buckeyes. It is a phenomenal year for Nick Saban and Alabama. They're going to look so radically different. Both of them are going to look so radically different. This prediction will sound ludicrous when you watch how shaky they look at times early in the year. I'm telling you, and I'm telling myself because it's my prediction, I'm telling you, you're going to have to give them time. And hopefully they don't drop a couple of games and remove themselves from contention. You give Bama time, they're going to round into the best team in the country. You give Ohio State time, they're going to round into being right up there with being the best team in the country. The reason I'm going with Alabama is because I don't ever think the ability to win a championship playing the style they're going to play this year left the room. It's just that the team that was the best at doing it, Alabama, voluntarily decided to change their formula and they did it very effectively. They're going to look so radically different this year. But I'm going to tell you one more time, and I've probably not been this blunt as I will right now because there's nothing left to hide. The season's here. I've never heard folks talk about an offensive line there like they've talked about in Tuscaloosa, the ones who have been there. And I am specifically telling you, I look, I think they will annihilate people on the offensive line this year like you haven't seen them do in several years. I think they go about seven, eight deep with guys they fully trust, to play the style of ball they're going to play. It is not going to be high flying. It's not going to overly impress you. It's not like watching a cheetah chase down its prey. It's a boa constrictor. And you keep sitting there and you watch him and he gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And you're like, is something going to happen? No, he's just going to crush him to death. Bam is just going to crush teams to death. Or in this case, they're going to grind him to death. And it's not going to be fun. They call it murder ball for a reason. But murder ball's back this year. And I think Alabama's going to win a national championship because of it. And you may be bored to tears in the process, but that's the direction I'm going. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Side note, if they're playing that style of ball, Jalen is the quarterback for them. Pretty much think it's been that way all fall, but I think Milrow's the guy for them. So, with that in mind, not that I was wrong on any of that, but with the outside possibility that I'm wrong on a couple of things, I will welcome in the comment section the... um, Sorry, I, my computer went dead for a second. The areas where you think that I am wrong. So um, as I said last, when was it, Colin? Last summer? We were at Elite 11, I think it was, last summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so quick story, and then we'll wrap the show up. So last summer, we're out in Los Angeles. I'm on a football field doing the show, and I lost all track of what was going on. And we hit 100,000 subs on the show live. And they let me know, like in my ear, this this little thing right here, they let me know that we hit it and I didn't even know what to do. I was taken aback by it. So I thanked everyone and management was there and we went off the air and that was that. Well, tonight we kind of knew we had a shot. And so I'm happy to announce right here at 822 Central Time in the year of our Lord, 2023 on August 27th, we have hit 200,000 subs live on air again Whomstead have thunk it? Well, I would have. Jesse would have. Bradley, Colin, you guys. Management probably punching air behind a gate somewhere down. It. Can you imagine the anger in the country club down there? Bad night to be a rich man south of Franklin. Probably a, a new song that will emerge on the charts this week. Rich men north of Richmond doing pretty good. How about rich men south of Franklin where management resides? The right people believed and we made it. So with that in mind, we can start the college football season. I appreciate you guys so much for doing this. I know there are thousands, there will be tens of thousands of new people over the next couple of days who watch or listen to this show because this is the week everyone searches college football podcast, college football show. And so you'll find us for the first time. Uh, We're not the only one out there. We try and be the best one out there. I would encourage you to check out a bunch of them, but I don't think anyone's going to work harder to give you what you want than this group of people. So we appreciate you giving us your time. Subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to the podcast. That's literally all we ask because the rest of it's going to be free. And if you are tired of what they don't give you elsewhere that they used to, you'll find it here. And if you don't find it, let me know and I'll provide it for you. So, for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, for Bradley the Associate, I'm Josh Pate. Welcome to the 200K Club. We'll see you same time, Tuesday night. Until then, take care and God bless.